It's wonderful to be with you. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Happy New Year. Very excited to, to start this brand new year with you. Uh, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. If you'd like to take notes, follow along. Uh, let me just jump right into it. On Monday morning, January 1st, 2018, one of our dearly loved Overlake staff members and a vibrant, beautiful part of our church family passed away at 12.33 a.m. While the world celebrated the arrival of a new year, heaven marked a departure. While millions danced for a new beginning, a small group of family and friends marked an ending. Lynn Wilkinson left this life and she went to be with Jesus. And yesterday we celebrated her life and her legacy. We gathered together in the chapel and it was standing room only. Her life had impacted so many and we, we got a chance to hear amazing tributes by friends and by her daughter Carly and her husband John. And it just was a very special time. We prayed for the family. We prayed for for the husband. We prayed for the kids. We prayed for grandkids and all kinds of friends. And and, and we remembered and honored her ministry here. And we will continue to honor the legacy that Lynn has left behind here at Overlake. And I want you to know, friends, that I've been in ministry for 26 years. And for me, this was a first, to lose someone on the team. I appreciated her so greatly. She, she was just such an amazing woman, working so well with the entire team. Pastor Larry and Drew, Josh and Pat, with Liz and Dr. G, myself, uh, she knew how to be gracious and kind. She knew how to be absolutely firm. She had a quiet demeanor, a warm smile, a twinkle in her eye. She knew how to be sassy. <laughs> and in so many ways, it's just hard to believe that she's gone. In addition to being an amazing person, a loving wife, a wonderful mom, an incredible teammate, and a devoted follower of Jesus, Lynn was relatively young. And I say relatively because the older I get, the more young everyone else seems to get relative to me. And at this point in my life, I'm staring hard at 50, so people in their 50s seem quite young. And, and I, I, I say all that because the passing of our friend Lynn and the, the, the juxtaposition of her passing with the entering of a new year has really caused me to be quite thoughtful all week. And so I thought the very best thing that I could do in terms of serving the needs of our church is just to try to listen to Jesus this week, try to discern. You would hope I do that every week. I do try to do that every week. But my, my point is that with, with no sort of series, no sort of, hey, here's the topic that I, you know, we've already sort of planned on. I, I just, I wanted to hear what it was that Jesus would have for us. And and I really do think that as I tried to approach the Lord thoughtfully this week, that there were some thoughts that I think are potentially very impactful and can really chart the course of this next year for so many of us. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first thought that came to my mind is just very simply, life is short. Life is, is short. It's so very, very short. There's a phrase that uh, my friend Judy Huey, I don't know if Judy's here today, uh, Judy, are you here today? Judy's husband, Bill, used to say this all the time. Life is but a vapor. And I think he would say that uh, in terms of when coming against an obstacle or some kind of challenge or trial, just that recognition that life is but a vapor and this too shall pass. And that is certainly a, a part of how this reality can be used. But I do want to point to you to some scripture 
Um, for example, in James 4.14, it says, your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. It's just, a, it's just this brief thing, and, and then it sort of fades away. Or Psalm 39.5, which says, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Look at that first phrase, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. I'd love for you to do this. Just hold up your hand like this, just real quick, all around the room, hold up your hand. Now think about the width of your hand as the length of your life, right? And some of you, you, you have smaller hands, some of you have larger hands, but that, you're talking about the width. Now some of you, that's your lifespan. Others of you, it's like this, right? You've got a little longer, a little bit longer from here to here, right? And, 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 you know, again, I've got it like a medium-sized hand. That's like maybe 10, 12 inches, something like that. Some of you, it's like a yard. I don't know. But <laughs> the, the, the point is, if you were to take that distance and put it on the ground, the question is, how long would it take you to walk that distance? Like that. It's just over. It's, it, it's just, it's so quick. Right? It's just like a breath. And, and so... What's interesting about that reality is the recognition that so much of what we go after just has no meaning. So much of what we fill our life with, our time with, our schedules with, so much of what we pursue financially, what we pursue in terms of accolades or entertainment, um, so much of what we pour emotionally emotional energy into simply has no value on the scorecard of life. And that's why the scripture says this in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2. It says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And this, this word vanity is a very interesting word because if you look it up today, the primary definition of vanity has to do with an excessive pride in one's appearance or one's accomplishments. That's the first definition. But the second definition is what the writer is going after, and it's this idea of something that has the quality of being worthless or futile. In fact, scholars believe that the, the better definition of vanity in the Hebrew is the idea of breath, that it's just an instant and it's gone. It's just a, a moment and it's over, and there's nothing that lasts, and and aren't you glad you came to church so far today? Trust, stay with me. This is, this is a really, this is good. So, so I want you to think right now about your life. And I want you to think about a few things in your life right now that you already know have no lasting value. I want you to just think about this for a moment. Think of it just off the top of your head. My gut is that almost all of us have a few things right away that come to mind. We just know. It's not just that they don't have any eternal value. They don't have any, you know, ultimate value. I'm guessing that we can find things that don't even have any value add today. That they don't even increase your quality of life right now. And yet we're pursuing emotional energy toward them. Or we're using financial resources to acquire them or whatever it may be. I want to give you a story 
that illustrates this. And it's a story that's 14 years old in my family. And, and I just want you to know, I have three teenagers. So every story I tell about my kids is going to be at least five years old or older because they're the only stories I have permission to tell you. So this one's 14 years old, but it's absolutely true. My daughter was four years old at the time, and we had signed her up for ballet. She was in a ballet, a little ballet troupe, and and at the end of the season of ballet practice, they have a ballet recital. So it's Saturday, it's the ballet recital, we're getting ready to go, and all of a sudden, we cannot find my daughter's tights that she needs to wear for her, for her ballet uh, uniform. And so, is it a uniform? Is it a, is it a costume? What is, it, what is a ballet? It's, it's a costume? That sounds, no, it's not. It's a, I don't know what it is. It, anyway, what, what, what they wear. So... So she can't find her tights, and, and th- so this is concerning, because they were in her ballet bag, now they're not in her ballet bag. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? She can't show up there with bare legs, that's just obscene, you know, a four-year-old, and so what do we do? So we have to run to the store. Now we're late. Now we're running to the store, trying to find some tights that will work, and we find some tights. I don't even know where we would go that sell four-year-old tights, but we found four-year-old tights. The problem is they weren't the right shade of color, right? It's, it's, you can't have pink and you can't, you know, I, I don't even know what the color was, but it, it was just, we knew it wasn't the right shade. And of course, the instructor was a total stickler. It has to be the exact right shade. All the little girls have to look exactly the same. If one girl has brighter pink, everyone's going to look at her. That's unfair. Like, like it just, she will not be allowed to be on stage if she doesn't have the right shade. So we're freaking out. We buy the wrong shade anyway. We get in the car. Now we're late. We're driving to the recital and the level of anxiety and stress, the the way the words were going around in the car, it had reached a level that I would call nuclear. I can't even say it. (laughs) Nuclear, right? Or nuclear. Whoever, whatever your political stripe. Okay, so... (laughs) It was total meltdown in the car. And I have only done this one time before the Lord, only one time, But I pulled the car over and turned it off. And I said, the only reason we're doing this is for fun. (laughs) There's no other reason why we're doing it. It's just for fun. And not only that, we love each other in this car. We all love each other. So if we can't relax and have fun, this car is going home and we are missing the recital. And everybody just took a deep breath, everybody exhaled and relaxed just a little bit, and we went to the recital. And lo and behold, at the recital, another little girl happened to find my daughter's tights in her ballet bag, and so she was fine to go. And as many of you know, my daughter went ahead, and now she performs for the London Royal Ballet Troupe. (laughs) That's not true, not even close. No, she didn't even like ballet. She quit the next season. (laughs) Went into Taekwondo or something. Here's the point. The point is, it was just vanity. It was just a breath. It was just a quick season, nothing lasting. And yet, how much energy, how much stress, how much anxiety as we went after the right shade of little girl tights? Like, like it had no value whatsoever, and yet it was so important in the moment. And I just want to suggest that your life right now has several 
adult versions of little girl tights. That sounds weird. I'm sorry. It's not what I meant. But the idea is, it, 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 right now, it, it, there are the adult version of, of these things that you know. It's not just that they don't have any, you know, kind of overarching value. It's not just that they don't have any eternal value. You, you already know that. It's, you, just, you just need to realize they don't even have value add now. They're not even increasing the value of your life, the quality of your life, the quality of your relationships with your family. They're not even building that now. And yet we go after them. I'll just give you a few examples of, of this idea, vanity of vanities. Any emotional time you spend trying to dissect who was wrong in an argument with your spouse when you know that both of you were wrong throughout the course of that argument, it's vanity. It's just a wasted effort. How about this, celebrity gossip or sports statistics? I'm preaching to myself with the sports, anyway. Spending too much time in the echo chamber of your own political cadre. Vanity. Trying to impress other people with how perfect your life seems on social media. Worried about having nicer stuff than your neighbors have. Waiting in line hours for new technology. I'm sorry about that conviction that I just heard. It was a Holy Spirit moment right there. <laughs> Friends, it is so short, this life. And because it is so short, it is so precious. I love this quote from, from the poet Mary Oliver. She says, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? See, the challenge I would bring this morning is we need to Thank God for our short and wonderful and priceless life. We need to be mindful of the wondrous gift that God has given us in this fleeting moment called now. And we need to be grateful for it. We need to be deeply grateful and mindful for this gift that God has given us because life is so short. How short? It's this short. And it brings me to the second kind of thought for today. And it's just not only that life is short, but it's the reminder to live it well, to make your life count. And in fact, I would argue that if you're going to be grateful to God for this precious gift of your life, this is how you live grateful. You live grateful to God by making your life count, by living it well. And there is a more full and a, a more rewarding and a more excellent way that I know each one of us can live. This is what Jesus invites us into. This is the life that Jesus promised to bring to us. It's, it's his purpose for coming, he says. In John 10.10, he says, my purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. Rich and satisfying life. In some of your translations, you look it up and you see, he says instead, life and life to the full. Or in other translations, it says abundant life. And the interesting thing about the words full and abundant in our culture today is they tend to mean filled and overfilled. So we just fill our life with stuff. Maybe not the good stuff or the worthwhile stuff, just stuff. We just fill it up and we overfill it up. And, and then there's no margin whatsoever. 
It's like um, when the writing on a page goes from the very top to the very bottom and there's no room in the margins and it's awkward and it's difficult to read, it's difficult to make sense of, and yet that's the picture of the lives that we are choosing for ourselves. The truly abundant life is actually about a life that's full of the things that matter. Not just mindlessly filled with the stuff that we think will make us feel good for a small season, but stuff that matters. In fact, Jesus talks about this as a clear and satisfying abundance, this refreshing fullness, like a fountain springing up within us and never running dry. He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from within him will flow rivers of living water. I want you to know, Overlake, that this is where lately all of my creative energy has been going because I want so deeply to live this abundant life. And I, not only do I want to live it, I, I want to live it as a model for my own children. I want them to live it. And not only do, do I want to live it, I want my kids to live it. I, I want to figure out how to empower everyone to live this life that Jesus is inviting us into. So this is where a lot of my thinking has been for a long season. And one of the things I want to tell you is I, I want you to know that it, there's some good news and some bad news with this reality. Let me start with the good news. The good news of this abundant life, this, this rich and satisfying life that Jesus invites us into, the good news is it's within your grasp. It's, it's right here. It's not something that's far away. It's not something that you've got to, you know, accomplish all these things or fulfill all these tasks or what. Like, like it's right here. It's easy to understand. It, you can grab hold of it. You can begin this process right now. Like, this is the good news. It's right here. There is some bad news. And the bad news is it does require some commitment from you. It does. It, let me tell you, in American culture, I fear that that is ultimately bad news. None of us want to hear that it requires something of us. But it's true. In order to take hold of this life that Jesus has brought, it, it will require something of us. And this is, just, this is universally true in American culture. What we want is we want the benefits of a thing without the process of a thing. Let me just give you a few examples, and I'm not actually preaching to anyone in the room. I'm just talking about culture in general, okay? So don't, nobody get offended on this, but, but let me tell you, culture in general in America, everyone in American culture wants to be more fit. They want to be more fit. They want to drop a few pounds. They want to be a little toned. They want to a little six-pack something. They, they, they want to be more fit. However, they do not want to carefully craft a diet and be on some kind of a process there. They don't want to have a, a workout schedule that they have somebody holding them accountable to. They, they don't want the process of getting fit. They just want to take a pill and boom. Right? That, and again, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I'm talking about just in general. What they want is the benefit, but not the process that brings the benefit. Uh, Finance is the same way. Wealth is exactly the same. Everyone in America wants to be wealthy. They want to be independently wealthy, fabulously wealthy. But they want to be wealthy by having some kind of an outside windfall that just comes and buries them in wealth. The lottery, you know, just happened this way. Oh, I just want to win the lottery, you know. You know the chances of winning the lottery? Zero. You know, no chance of winning the lottery. But we, we just kind of tease ourselves into this reality. Oh, yeah, that's going to be my plan 
Here's the deal. Unless we figure out what it looks like for us to live within our margin and live within our budget, unless we figure out what it means to just kind of consistently and monthly invest away, then then we're never going to understand that the process is actually a part of the benefit. In fact, that would be something I'd have you write down in your notes because that's really a powerful mental shift you can make in 2018, that the process is actually a part of the benefit that we desire. And Jesus knows that. That's why he grows us through that. And again, all of this is connected to the brevity of life. This is what the scripture says. It says, teach us, right, to the Lord. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom, so that we might understand this reality. And, and there, there are actually several components of this full and rich and excellent life that Jesus is inviting us into, but I'm only going to talk about one this morning. And the, the one that I really want to challenge our church family on is this issue of investing in spiritual friendships, in connection with one another on a spiritual basis. And I, and I say this, I, I, I realize that we talk about this from time to time. I know you've heard me talk about this, Pastor Pat, before, but here's the reality. Here's the reality. I, I know how important this is, and hopefully by the end of our time together, you will too. See, I, I know that for some of you, one of the avenues we provided Overlake are groups, and I know some of you are like, because I've talked to you, you're like, oh, I tried a group and it just didn't work. But he, here's the truth. That's okay if that happens to you. I know for a fact that you've tried a restaurant and didn't fall in love with it, but you didn't give up eating in that moment, did you? Like somehow you tried another restaurant, you kept going after it. And and so here's the deal, if you tried a group and it just didn't work for you, my encouragement is this is the season to try another one. Like jump back in, give it another chance. And so there's several ways that, that we are providing at the front end of 2018 for us to be a church that really is connected in spiritual friendships with one another. So here are a few ideas, and, and I think you probably are familiar with some, if not all of these. But one, join a group for a trimester. We're starting that this month, uh, starting the signups for groups this month. We would love to have you join in. Again, it's for a trimester. It's not forever and ever until Jesus comes. It's just for a limited season, right? So jump in and begin to develop those spiritual connection muscles. The second is maybe you just grab a friend or two that you are in accountability with that you meet with for prayer, that you talk about your spiritual goals with one another, that you encourage one another towards the life that you want to live. The next idea is maybe you jump into one of our Sunday Bible studies. We have two amazing Sunday Bible studies that you can make friendship connections within. One is taught by Pastor Drew, uh, the other by one of our incredible elders, Mark Hicks. Uh, They both meet, Drew's group meets at 920 and, and Mark's group meets at 11. And we'd love to have you jump in, develop your friendship connections there. The gathering, of course, for, women's is, uh, for women is on Tuesday mornings. And then we've got an o- Overlake men's event coming up in just a couple of weeks. It's coming up on February 2nd and 3rd. Guys, I really want you to join me in this. It's going to be fantastic. And out of that event, we're looking to actually start a few groups uh, for men. So, so we're excited about that opportunity. And then the very best way to find connection and start the journey at Overlake is Rooted 101. So if you haven't jumped in to Rooted, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Here are the four realities, the four components of what spiritual friendship connection looks like. The first is simply friendship. 
The second is challenging spiritual conversation. The third is prayer together. And the fourth is consistency. Let me say those again because these are required. Friendship, challenging spiritual conversation, prayer together, and consistency. Over the last month and a half or so, I've been meeting with Overlake families. And I've been asking them a series of questions about how their family life intersects with the life of the Overlake family and how we maybe as a church can do a better job of caring for their needs and encouraging them in their spiritual journey. And and it's been amazing. I've absolutely loved the time. And one of the things we talk about is this idea of connection. And here's what I've heard again and again and again. Oh, pastor, I I know I need to get connected. I I just haven't been able to to make it a priority to to jump into a group. Oh, oh, pastor, I I know I need to get connected. I know what all the pathways are. I just, you know, my schedule's just so full, I just, I haven't been able to. You know, I just, I haven't been able to to really find one that fits for me. And, you know, I tried a couple years ago, I just haven't tried since. So I just want you to understand how important it is this season, I really want to encourage you, get connected, take that step, whatever it is that God's calling you to do, but get connected in a spiritual friendship, right? Allow that to be a part of your growth journey. I heard two weeks ago about uh, the longest study in history of adult development, and it's been going on for 75 years. This study is a 75-year-old study of adult development. What they did is they gathered a group of students, uh, all males, at the time it was all males, so they wanted to look at male development. So they had a group of 150 male students from Harvard University. And at the same time, they gathered a group of 150 young men from a very poor corner of Boston, the city of Boston. And then they did this study. It was a pretty comprehensive study. It talked about all kinds of things from education, finance, relationships, just kind of across the board. And it tracked this group of 300 men every year for the last 75 years. One of the things that was interesting is every time they got together with, uh, with w- w- one of the men from Boston, um, they were just so humble about it. They're like, I don't even understand why you're studying my life. I'm just a regular guy. What could I have, you know, that would help be helpful for anyone? And they're just so humble. Uh, the, the Harvard men weren't quite like that. <laughs> they were certain they were fascinating, right? They just, they, they were, oh, of course you would study me. And, and so, uh, but what was interesting, every year they studied these, these guys. They studied their families. They studied, you know, how everything was going in their life. And 75 years this study's been going on. Most of them are gone now. There's only 60 that are left alive. But here's the conclusion. Those with the greatest sense of life satisfaction are the ones who invested in loving relationships. Friends, this is not a religious study, but it happens to be completely biblical. This is what it's all about. It's all about investing in loving relationships and building loving friendships that connect you with what's most important, your spiritual journey. So let me just say this clearly, friends. If you are not investing in developing a spiritual friendship, you are robbing yourself of a core component of abundant life. You are are stealing from yourself the excellence that Jesus has in mind for you. 
So please take this challenge to heart. Jump in. And you know this is a part of my heart. You know that I'm all about love, and I want you to learn to love one another and be in relationships of love. The purposes of our church are love God and love people. How do we do that? We want to love outlandishly. And again, I come back to Lynn and her life. She's such a shining example of what this looked like, to be in relationship and to truly love and to care for people. In fact, if you were to go into Lynn's office right now, you would see that there is a little quotation from Mother Teresa on her wall. And Lynn embodied this truth. The the quote says, people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it's between you and God. It never was between you and them anyway. Your life is between you and God. This life that is short, this life that you seek to live well, it's between you and God. And that brings us to the last thought for this morning, and that is eternity matters. This life is not all there is. This life is just like the introduction. It's just the opening, and chapter one begins when this life ends. And it's so important for us to realize that in so many ways, what we do in this life does have echo throughout eternity, right? We recognize that what we do in this life, what we say in this life, what we believe, it matters for eternity. Jesus tells this amazing story in Matthew 25, and it's, it's this story about a separation between sheep and goats, between the righteous and the unrighteous, and he talks about how this is a separation that'll happen at the end of history, and, and the sheep will be invited into the eternal kingdom of God. The goats will be denied that entry, and, and so he talks about what that looks like. And as Jesus is telling the story, it's in Matthew 25. Please read the whole chapter if you have time this week. As Jesus is telling this story, what's interesting is how surprised people are at the group they get shuffled into. And he says this. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison. And you visited me. And the righteous, the sheep, they're they're confused. They're like, wait, Jesus, when did we ever see you in these states? When did we ever serve you in these ways? I'm I'm thinking about my life. I don't don't think I ever saw you sick or in prison or naked and needing clothing or or hungry and needing food. I, I, I just can't remember that interaction. And Jesus says, whenever you did them, To anyone, you were doing it to me. Whenever you did it to nobodies, you were doing it to me. He said, I was watching the whole course of your life, and anytime you offered this kindness and this service to anybody, anywhere, I took it as service to me. To what you do in this life matters, it 
matters. And not only what you do, like the, the behaviors that we have, but what we believe in our hearts. This is why the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 10, 9. He says, if you openly can declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your beliefs in this life also matter. Right? If we believe in our heart, we declare with our lips that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. Because after this life is over, friends, that there is this, there's this other life, this afterlife. And it is, it's in heaven. We, we call it heaven, but you could also talk about it as being Eden restored. It's God, God's perfect order, untainted, right? Unmarked by sin, unmarked by disease or corruption or, or the curse at all. It's just this beautiful, redemptive, restorative universe that God creates. That's what we're talking about. And, and in that place, there are certain kind of people that God has gathered to, him, to himself from all corners of the earth, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity, that, that there's this beautiful collective gathered to be with God, the children of God. But they're, they're marked by something specific. It's, it's the kind of people that they're like. And so what I want you to see is that you don't just feed the poor and then check that box off your spiritual to-do list. It's not like um, visiting the sick or those in prison or, or offering clothing to the naked. It's not just like that's some kind of a, a hurdle you have to jump over. That's a, that's a bar you've got to clear in order to get into heaven. No, no, we're, we're doing these things so it develops us into the kind of people that actually like doing these things. We actually like to serve, and we like to give, and we like to care for others. We like to help others, you know, get a leg up. And we like to meet others where they're in need and kind of help them move forward in this life. And it's, it's changing something about how we operate in this world because that's the kind of people that are going to really enjoy heaven. And if you don't enjoy doing those things, you're really going to find heaven to be a drag because it's filled with those kind of people. And the same thing about this belief, this idea of believing in the Lord. It's not like the Lord is so, you got to believe me, you got to do this. No, it, it's a, that's Jesus' house. Heaven is where he lives. And if you don't believe in Jesus, it's going to be so awkward when you run into him in the hallway. I say, oh, you're here. Oh. No, no, look, 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 recognize this. this. We're in a culture right now that is filled with people who want heaven but not God. That can't happen. There is no heaven without God. Do you understand? Like this is what the Apostle Paul is making it so clear. Like this is how you develop your heart. Yes, Jesus is alive and we're going to spend eternity with him. Jesus is alive and there are ramifications for our lives today. Because I want to tell you, friends, and here is the bottom line. Jesus himself is the great prize. He is the great prize in this life and in the next life. And so we recognize that, and we become people who do believe that love is the answer. And we become people who do believe that Jesus is the great prize. And then we live our lives from that stance as we become more and more and more this kind of a person. This is the abundance that we're talking about. Not a life overfilled with stuff, but a life filled with the good stuff. And the Apostle Paul says this. 
He says at the very end of his life, after living this incredible ministry, after, after impacting tens of thousands of lives, uh, he says this, at the, almost the very last thing he writes, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Why don't you just look at it? Fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. You know, at the end of my road, I want to say that. And friend, at the end of your road, I want you to be able to say that. Because I think about Lynn, I know she could say that. I know Lynn fought the good fight. I know she ran the good race. I know she kept the faith. And she crossed the finish line with her head held high. You know, for those of you who knew Lynn, I know actually many hundreds of you did. If you knew Lynn, you knew that she had, at first glance, a more quiet demeanor. She, she never sought the limelight for herself. She did not want people to make a big deal about her. In fact, I, I have... I imagine she would be a little embarrassed by today's sermon, just having a lot of references of Lynn. But I do imagine, this is my spiritual imagination here, I do imagine that when her life on earth was over and she walked up to the gates of heaven and they opened for her, I imagine for the first time she found herself in the spotlight. I imagine that there were throngs to welcome her at the gate, and they were cheering for her. It was like a ticker tape parade, and there were chants of, Lynn, 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 people with posters, somebody wearing a shirt with her face on it. (laughs) And in that moment, Jesus himself appears. And with this kind and loving demeanor, he looks at her and he says, well done. Well done. You've been a good and faithful servant. He says, why don't you come in to your father's joy? And as she takes his hand and as she begins to walk in, I imagine she stops for a moment and looks back on us. And in that moment, what would she say? I think she would say, life is short. I think she would say, live it well. I think she would say, eternity matters. What I'd love to have you do right now is stand. We're actually going to pray, and then we're going to praise Jesus a little more this morning. There's a song that was Lynn's very favorite song, and it's a song about the shackles of fear falling off of us. It's a song about us stepping into our full identity as the children of God. She would see Jessica in the hallway and she would say, hey, when are we going to sing this song again? And She just loved it so much. And as we sing it, I, I just want you to understand that Lynn is experiencing the full reality of the words we're going to sing today. But this is a beautiful invitation for all of us. I really believe that this is a phenomenal challenge for each of us in this next year of 2018 that we recognize how short our time is, that we live it very, very well, and that we recognize eternity matters. So we want to bring our friends, our family, our loved ones along with us as we journey with Jesus.
So why don't we bow our heads and ask for his help right now. Lord, I want to thank you for the incredible example that you've given us in Lynn. I want to thank you so much for just the gift of of knowing her and of serving with her. But Lord, even more than that, I want to thank you for the lessons that I believe you've taught me through her life and her example. The challenge that we recognize, because life is short, it is so precious. And we want to be grateful, and we want to be mindful, and we want to make great value decisions about what really is important and what really isn't important. Lord, we ask that you would help us to live it well, that we would live it with love, that we would be relationally connected with some brothers and sisters on this journey. We know we can't make it alone, so we ask for your help that we might be able to make it uh, a deep and a rich connection with our brothers and sisters. And lastly, Jesus, we know that eternity matters, that you yourself are the great prize. And so we ask that you would allow us to step more and more into what that looks like, that we might be more and more your sons and daughters, that that might be the lens through which we view all things, all of our choices this next year, that that might be the lens through which we value our own identity. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen.